Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. All right. If you're like most of the people I deal with, and myself included, your mind is probably always in high gear. That means you're interpreting events, you're watching for blockers, usually other people, you're trying to protect your own positioning, your own territory, your own standing, whatever else seems to be appropriate, and more. And it's that kind of activity that wakes you up in the middle of the night and so that you don't sleep well, and that keeps you obsessing day in and day out about what's happening and what you need to do and how the politics are playing out. And if you're like the client I spoke to today, it can actually lead to where you start distrusting somebody who's actually really trying to support you. It's fascinating how much our minds get engaged and add to the stress that we're experiencing in our lives. So today, on my continuing quest for how do we find ways to de-stress, we're going to talk about how do you quiet the mind? How do you stop all of that thinking in a way that is still constructive? So my guest today is Jillian McMichael, a passionate teacher, healer, coach, and author, 20 years experience helping people on their journey of self-discovery and professional fulfillment. She is a certified top master coach, something held by the top 2% of coaches globally. And importantly for today, she's the founder of Full Circle Global, specializing in a variety of development programs that helps people figure out how to transform their lives. And I should say pulling on a range of practices that bring about healing, happiness, and wholeness. Jillian's book, Coming Home, a guide to being your true self um, takes people on a journey of self-discovery. I should add, she has her own podcast, Full Circle, Finding Your Way Home as well. Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Me too. All right. So I always have to ask, and particularly for you, I have to ask, what you got you started on this journey about quieting the mind and healing? Okay, so I'll kind of take you back most probably about 12 years. And I um, in 2009, the recession was kicking in here in the UK. And my business was really suffering on the back of that. Alongside that, I was going through quite a tricky divorce, I would say, where, yeah, it, it, you know, just one of those things. It just happened for for no reason, just that we fell out of love with each other. But, but what it left me with was... Um, a huge amount of debt um, on the basis of that my husband had racked up quite a lot of debt that I didn't know about. And then my business kind of had to go into liquidation, my first business at that point. Um, so it really got me thinking because I was very stressed, as you can imagine, I was completely out of my comfort zone, completely uh, stretched to the max. And my son was just turned six years old at the time. So, and within all of this, I lost everything more or less. I lost my home, my business, my car, my, my marriage, everything went literally down the tube and I had to start all over again. And I was left with a few suitcases, quite sounds dramatic, but very true, a few suitcases and my son's hand and we rebuilt. And so at that point, not 
you know, fight, flight, you know, didn't know what to do because completely stressed to the max. I decided to start understanding how I could quieten my mind, first of all, because I, there was just so much going on. I couldn't make sense of really what happened. Wow. Jillian, wow. I mean, lots of people go through tricky divorce, but to say that you walked away from everything with a couple of suitcases and a young child, I get emotional. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, okay. So (laughs) how did you like, give us the story about you. You survived it. You have now a very thriving business. What was the secret to your own journey? Well, at the very beginning, you know, I was really in panic mode because I needed an income um, for my son. I needed, and we, thankfully my mom and dad provided me a loan just to get a rented accommodation. So I got a rented flat quite quickly. My mom and dad really helped me with that. And a friend of mine borrowed, basically gave me their car on a loan so I could take my son to school and back because, you know, it was just quite tricky. So, so I had some basic support, which was fantastic from friends and family. Um, but I think what I needed to do was really dig deep. And I'd realized that through my, um, 12-year relationship with my ex-husband, but seven years marriage. Uh, my business of seven, it'd been my business had been going for seven years, um, that actually I'd lost myself in all of this. And, you know, as I lay there, you know, in the dark and trying to figure out what I was going to do, I realized that I, actually the thing that I need to do, first of all, was to, to come back home to myself. And that's what the book's about, I suppose. But it was that journey of come back home. But I needed to, to think about what I had to do. And the one thing I could rely on was I was already a coach at that stage. I wasn't a master coach, but I was a coach and I, and I knew how to coach people well. Um, and so I reached out to a few clients, people that I built really good relationships with. And actually I was very honest. Um, I think I was very humbled by my experience to be very honest. And, uh, and it really made me realize what was important. And so by an honesty and integrity was one of those things. And integrity is very quite dear to my heart as I've always wanted to be quite, you know, have, have high integrity. And so I went to my, a couple of clients and told them what happened. And they, one of them out of all of those clients said, you know what, it doesn't matter what's happened. We'll get you back on track. And if you want to do some work for us, then you can start working off small and you can start to rebuild. And that was, that was the first thing. But after that was really to figure out how I could look after my well-being because I wasn't very well. My mental health was pretty low. Um, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I could have certainly would have, um, a breakdown would have been most probably closer to the words I would have said um, while trying to hold it all together and trying to recoup, I suppose, what I lost. Because alongside all that goes a lot of humiliation, goes a lot of shame, feeling a huge failure as a woman, but also as a businesswoman, but also as a mother. Um, and so there was a lot of that going on. And um, and a friend of mine suggested I receive some energy healing, some Reiki and so I went for some of that and I got interested in that and then um, I ended up actually unfortunately though, having to get rushed to the hospital because I had a um, a really bad asthma attack and I didn't suffer from asthma but because of all the stress and tension that I've been carrying in my body I actually after a bad cold got a chest infection and I got I, I couldn't breathe and it was the consultant who said have you ever tried meditation mm-hmm. and I said hmm no, I've heard of it, but I've not tried it. He said, I think it might help. Um, and and then I obviously, on the back of that, because I was so stressed, I was eating for comfort and, you know, just grabbing things when I can. So I, I 
put on an awful lot of weight over that period of time because I was really you know unhappy I suppose and and food was most probably a bit of a comfort for me um and so um my nutritionist said you need to lose weight otherwise you could end up having diabetes I had so much cortisol in my system so it was just one thing after the other and he also said to me well in fact he handed me a book and he said I really think you need to read this and it was a book on meditation so two people in a two-week period had basically said try meditation meditation okay yeah so Reiki, if people don't know it, is sort of an energy healing meditation. Yeah. Most people have um, said that. Jillian, wow, what a journey. And clearly you're in a good place today. Yes, I am. Okay. So how common, I mean, what are you seeing among your clients as you work with people? Are you seeing people in similar states of stress? I mean, what, what's the picture like for you? Yeah, I think most of my clients come to me have a high level of alert, I would say. So a high level of anxiety and this in this kind of high level of alert state, this kind of fight, flight or freeze kind of state. Now, obviously we've got so used to being in this way of living and being um, that, you know, we're seeing a lot of that, but more so, well, I would say since pandemic, actually I'm seeing a lot more burnout and a lot more overwhelm and a lot more fatigue than I had done previously. Right. Well, and there is both in the UK and in the US, the Psychological Association, American Psychological Association, British Psychological Association are both documenting the increase in stress, fatigue, and burnout, depending on how we define burnout. But yes, yes. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I see people being so extremely overwhelmed by the job, the demands of life, all the components of life, whether they're in the office or not in the office. I'm watching people not think as clearly as they think they're thinking. Like I'm finding I'm having to say things over and over and over again. Even if I said it two minutes ago, it's just not getting in. And I think that's a sign of overwhelm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'm noticing that a lot. So that kind of foggy, kind of the, the, the brain fog kind of thing, not being able to finish off sentences, um, forgetting what they've even been saying. And really what I've noticed is is lack of decision-making. I don't know whether you've noticed that, but certainly people don't seem to be able to have the same clarity or focus to make the decisions that they need to make. And each of those then just compounds whatever else it was that you were stressed about. I see that one. Absolutely. I also see, I think as with you, that um, people feel that they're supposed to gut it out, to grit it out, to steal from Angela Duckworthy, and that I'm supposed to be able to take it. That's it. And if I can't take it, then, well, clearly I'm not cut out for this job and I should just quit and walk away. Um, but I think they're underestimating how much our bodies are not prepared to deal with the level of stress that they put on them. Now, yeah. I'm interested in your opinion. I, I would agree with that because what happens with our bodies, if we have this high level of stress, it creates inflammation in the body. So you'll start to notice aches and pains in the joints, such as the knees, the back, the neck, the shoulders. Um, you might see people start having migraines and headaches more. Um, general kind of, like we said, lack of appetite, lack of focus, lack of clarity, those types of things could start to come in. But the longer we have that inflammation in our body, then the more that can lead on to more serious illnesses, such as heart condition, diabetes, high blood pressure, and even more significant illnesses, which obviously is, which is what we don't want. And so I'm seeing a lot of that um, within my clients um, and that sense of just not sure how to cope 
and not sure really what to do. So we will grit it out. We'll keep going because, you know, that's what we've always done and that's what we'll always do. But actually we most probably need to say, do you know what? I just need a break or I need to find different mechanisms to allow me to de-stress and to recuperate because we really do need our body to heal itself. Right. Body and our mind because I want to go back to that one in the moment. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Interestingly, I think people are unaware of just how much stress they're under now, granted, there are periods of time where there are intense stress. Let's say something has gone wrong in the business that you're leading. You have to dig in, figure out what it is, but that is six months, nine months. It shouldn't be a permanent state of affairs two and three years later. And we know that some stress is good for you. The question is, when does it tip into too much stress? So do you have advice for people on how to notice if they've gotten too far, too much? Yeah, it's a very good question. Actually, it's, yeah. So I would say that I agree with you. I think adrenaline and achieving things that need to be achieved in a short period of time, it, it, you know, it can be quite good for us because it can give us energy, it can give us motivation, can drive us, all of those things, keep us engaged. But I would say when it starts to cross over is when you start to notice things happening, perhaps in your home life that you might not. So you might be more short tempered. um, You might have less tolerance. um, You might find yourself doing having a bit of road rage, um, shouting at somebody, you know, through the car window or something along those lines. Um, Or you might find that you're getting upset, actually, but not realizing why. Um, Sleep is also another indicator of when it's maybe crossed over because our sleep will be affected. In fact, insomnia now is one of the fastest growing challenges that we have with mental health, with most of the population only having four nights out of seven nights good sleep. So three nights and very, you know, kind of not sleeping throughout the night. Great. I have just, um, as you know, Jillian, and many of my listeners know, I have just been wearing a device. Um, I happen to wear the Aura ring, but there are others of these that tracks with quite accuracy and a lot of numbers, just how good my sleep is. And I find I can be in bed for the right number of hours, like eight hours. It doesn't mean I wake up rested. Yes. So tracking that, seeing it and recognizing, oh, I thought I was doing so well and I'm not doing so well. And then recognizing I am feeling tired in the morning and why is that? And what's that about? So I find data is actually helping. Okay. Um, and certainly, as we know, as leaders, when you've crossed over that borderline of too much stress, that's when your derailers start to show up. Yeah. That's when people start to do things that they would not normally do. They start to shout at their teams or be edgy with their teams or say things in the less kind way that they could say them or diplomatically or not do that motivational or not communicate clearly. I mean, there's a lot of knock-on effects. of leaders, they can get too cautious or too risk-taking, a whole bunch of things that are derailers. So especially as you're leading, this becomes critical. In fact, I think mission critical, mission number one to get on top of if you want to lead effectively. So why quieting the mind? Why is that the thing? (laughs) So our mind obviously is beautiful in so many ways, um, but it does control us and it doesn't necessarily always control us in the right way. So for example, when we are feeling anxious or tired or, you know, overwhelmed, 
our mind will start telling us a narrative such as you're tired, you're overwhelmed, you're burnt out, you know, and that narrative will keep repeating itself over and over again because we have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. We make 35,000 decisions a day. And 95% of the thoughts that we have today, we will have tomorrow and the day after and the day after. So we're in this constant stream of thought. Now, those thoughts that we have, yes, as we said, will repeat themselves and some new thoughts will come in, but we don't have a lot of time in between a thought to get some peace and quiet, to get stillness. And so meditation, mindfulness techniques have been proven as the best way to try to quiet the mind and to try and get some stillness. Because what we want to do is we want, we want to heal ourselves in terms of our stress levels and all of those things we've talked about, we want to try and self-heal. And we can do that by taking a more mindful approach to things and to meditate if we can once, if not twice a day. Okay. All right. Okay. I know this, but I'm just in case somebody's skeptical out there, you know, isn't that thinking through my mind, how I plan strategically and anticipate the next action and figure out what I need to say to this person and kind of just constantly work. Isn't that a good thing? Well, the answer is, of course, we need our brain. Absolutely. Yes. We do need our brain to help us navigate those conversations and to achieve the things that we want to achieve. But it's the stories that we tell ourselves that can get in the way. So if our mind, you know, if we're in a really positive mindset, for example, then we're cooking on gas. It's fantastic, you know, because it's it, we're motivated, we're inspired, we're energized, we're doing all of those things. So that would be more, yeah, more of that positivity that comes through. But what happens there when your brain says, well, you know, Jillian, are you good enough? Can you really do this? You know, that presentation was rubbish that you did today, or you never even answered that question in the team meeting in the right way. And your brain then and mind starts to percolate that over and over and over again. And if we're not mindful where we in the moment decide to, what do I do with this thought? Do I, do I agree with that thought that perhaps I didn't do very well in that presentation? But instead, do I then choose to beat myself up by saying, well, you were rubbish. You can't do presentations. You're not very good at them. Or do I say, okay, there's an opportunity to learn here. Now, when we're feeling tired, overwhelmed, burnt out, you know, all the things we've talked about so far, our mind is going to just keep repeating the negative aspects of the experience because we're too overwhelmed as it is. And so that's why it can be useful when we're feeling that way. I mean, if we're still feeling, you know, if you're feeling positive, I would still say, please you know, try meditation. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that it's going to be the the, the savior of, of, of things. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. So I think about the kind of narratives that I see people telling themselves. One is that narrative that I'm not good enough, or I don't know what my value add here is, or I have to prove my value add again. And that generates a whole bunch of other negative activity, either the self-defeating lack of confidence cycle or the why should I try cycle, or the let me tell you again how great I am cycle, all of which don't necessarily help relationships. So you get that story that you're telling. But you also get that story you're telling yourself about why somebody else said or did something to you. And that perpetuates conflict and tension and distrust in the work, even if it isn't warranted. Correct. And yeah. so the I think about two kinds of narratives that get in the way if they repeat in our minds. 
And I love, uh, I come back to this data, 60 to 80,000 thoughts, I think a day, 30,000 decisions, but 90% of what I thought yesterday, I will think tomorrow. So I think the question here is, am I intentionally choosing to hang on to a thought, examine a thought, or just put it on autoplay? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Great. Meditation. Why does meditation work? I know the science says it works. There's no doubt about that one at all. In your experience, what is it that meditation does? For me, it allows you to find stillness and calm literally your mind and your body and your emotions. Now, when I first started to meditate, I found it very difficult because my head was racing like most people's yeah. heads are. Um, and so I find it very difficult to sit still, never mind anything else. Um, but I found that once I got going, it really helped me calm. So what happened was for me, I would describe meditation as like, imagine a tin of paint and you have a very kind of brand new paintbrush painting the walls and you dip this brush into this white paint. And as you dip this brush out, it's got the white paint on the on the on the brush tips. For me, that's when you meditate, you're dipping in into your wisdom, and that white paint is your wisdom. And every time you bring out that paintbrush, more and more of your true self, more and more of your wisdom comes through, more and more that deeper connection to who you really are comes through. Now, you know, we don't have in this society and this way of living an awful lot of time to always find time to do that. But when you do, you get a really deep insight into who you are and what you are and what you can do with your life. And it gives you the opportunity to connect with yourself at a deeper level, but also to get rid of those tapes, those mm -hmm. tapes that keep playing on auto on autoplay. And it gives you the opportunity to really see yourself in a different way. Okay. All right. I'm sold. So this notion of meditation helping us dip into who we really truly are, pull that back to the surface, um, decide what auto tapes are working or not working for me and do something with them. Abandon, rewind, <laughs> destroy, replace, whatever the case is. Okay, but for most of the people I deal with, Jillian, they've tried meditation and they can't stand it. They find it irritating. Yep. So how do you help people get started on a meditation practice? So the key thing for me is really is to learn how to breathe properly because most of us don't breathe properly at all. We, we, we only do shallow breathing to, from here to here. So to our chest, we don't do that deep belly breathing. And it's, as we know, it's been proven that actually, if you can connect to your breath and take longer breaths, you can actually open the vagus nerve, which is the most critical and crucial nerve within our um, mind body constitution. And so once we can open that vagus nerve, then what it does, it, it takes us out of that fight or flight, high alert stage and it allows us to slow things down. Now, for me, um, what I do with my clients is when they're not used to meditating or very similar, have tried it and they, they can't do it or don't want to do it because it's frustrating, is to start off small, is literally to introduce. So when I start a coaching session, for example, I would invite my clients just to connect with their breath just for a minute or two so that they can be present because breathing, all we're doing is connecting to the breath to allow us to be present, to be in the moment. Okay. And that can help quite significantly. All right. So what do you mean by connecting to the breath for people who've never done this work before? So just close your eyes if you wish or not, just kind of put your kind of eyes to a low gaze and just focus on the inhale and the exhale. 
And there's lots of different breathing techniques, but one of the breathing techniques that I teach is called the connecting breath, where it's literally you just focus on the, the inhale through the nose and the exhale through the nose. And then you allow the breath to move down into your heart center, which is just the center of your chest, if you wish. And just to just focus on the, the breathing in and the breathing out and just allow yourself to deepen and lengthen those breaths. If I find with my clients, so sometimes I don't know whether you've had this wonder too, when your clients get quite wound up or they're getting um, stressed about something in the conversation, you can hear the breath and the, they start to go faster and faster and faster. And there's a great technique called the stop technique, whereas literally you invite the client just to pause, take three deep breaths and observe what's going on in the moment so that they can proceed with more awareness. And this is a really good technique to allow people to get back in presence and to, to be here in the moment. Okay, so it's about in the moment and quieting the craziness that's going on in my head. I worked with a psychologist years, years, years ago, um, William Farr, who used to say, the mind is a crazy thing. Anybody who lets that drive you is, you know, is, is losing or is uh, acting in a crazy way. All right, so I'm going to breathe. I'm going to focus on the breath. I'm going to do three breaths. I agree with you. I find most people actually hold their breath and they're adding tension to their body as opposed to releasing the breath. So I always focus people on exhaling, emphasizing the exhale. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just let it out. And three seems to be quite remarkable somehow in how that helps you calm all the tension that you're feeling in your body. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So we have a couple of breaths. We focus on the breath. What are we, all right, what's next? So then, I mean, you can do a number of different things. There's guided meditation where you can have a mantra, where you can follow a particular mantra. Um, there's a really easy one, which is I am, which is known as so hum. Very useful just again for calming the nervous system down and just to get you to focus on that. Um, or you can try different, you know, it's obviously different types. There's, there's loads of different meditation types. But for me, I quite like a mantra personally because the mantra is the vehicle to move your activity inwards rather than focusing outwards. Okay, so how does this mantra work? I just say I am, I am over and so, over again. Oh, yeah, so what happens is you just close your eyes and you just go so hum, so hum. So hum, and you end up repeating it silently to yourself because the activity will allow you to do it. And if you do that for four or five minutes every morning, all you're doing is connecting with yourself, you're breathing, and you're focusing on the mantra, and it should start to calm you down and start to wake you up for the day. Alternatively, you can set intentions. Mm -hmm. um, and that also can be useful where you can set your intention. I have a lovely one that I use, especially with female leaders in particular, where they're dealing with challenges around worthiness or lack of worthiness, which is I am confident, I am resourceful, I am whole. Confident, resourceful, and whole. All right. I like that. Um, and you say four to five minutes. Yeah. Isn't yeah. I mean, the average time for, for those people who do meditate on a regular basis would be about 20 to 30 minutes first thing in the morning. And if you wanted to do another meditation practice a little bit, you know, maybe before dinner. So most probably around this time in between like 4 UK time and 7 PM UK time. So just before dinner would be good for a quick five or 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, so once a day, ideally, if not twice a day, if you can squeeze that in. Okay. Now, if I'm going to do the 20 minute, the longer meditation, what am I doing in that process? What does that one start to look like? Well, all you need to do here is just sit comfortably. 
So get yourself with something that you can, so you could get out, you could sit up in bed and do it. You could find yourself a nice comfy chair or, or you could have a meditation cushion or sit on the floor cross-legged, whatever you wanted to do, as long as you're not going to get disturbed and you're able just to sit there quietly with yourself, that's all you need to do. Now, there are certain things that might happen in meditation though, is you might fall asleep. And certainly I fell asleep quite a lot. <laughs> I could feel myself twitching all over the place um, because that's your body just de-stressing and, and, and kind of unlocking some of those tensions in your body. So don't worry if you fall asleep. That's perfect. That's what's meant to happen for you. Um, you will have thoughts. I had everything like this, this, this whole load of song lyrics, thoughts. For, there's so many thoughts. I couldn't even control them. And you just have to sit there. And just allow that just to kind of pour out of the, the mind as it does. Um, and then this is the other lovely thing called the gap. And that's when you find or drop yourself by however, by I don't know how you do it because it's very difficult to explain. And it's not something we can force. It's just something that happens is where you drop into the gap, which is this moment between as a thought is leaving and another thought is arising. There is this moment of pure silence known as pure potentiality, infinite potential, um, connecting to source, if you want to see it from that perspective, but just allowing you to drop in, I would describe it in layman's terms as dropping into yourself, really, so you're dipping into that that white paint, that wisdom that we talked about. Okay. All right. So, Jillian, if I'm tuning into all of this, we've had quite a discussion about why this active, crazy mind Thinking lots of thoughts, racing ahead is just compounding the fight or flight, the adrenaline and cortisol in our bodies. That's leading to inflammation. It's leading to obsessive thoughts, lack of sleep, leading to more inflammation and so on and so on we go. And then those stories that we tell ourselves in those moments, as we tell a story, it's going to repeat and repeat and repeat. And frequently those stories are not helpful there are stories that um, devalue who I am or what I'm about, or there are stories that attach problems to somebody else or with somebody else. I think that's the simplest way I can get at both of those. And that one of the ways of quieting the mind is meditation. And meditation is nothing other than connecting to your breath. So a simple mantra of so hum, so hum, so hum, and just breathing at a steady pace in a quiet manner for three, four, five minutes is enough first thing in the morning to settle down and get ready for the day or to set an intention to say, I am confident, resourceful, and whole, and repeat that over and over to yourself again, just as a way of settling down. Or longer periods, if you dare, um, 20, even 30 minutes, where yes, you might fall asleep, that's okay. Your thoughts will come and go, but what you're looking for is the space between the thoughts. Yeah. And it sounds like there's nothing magical to practice with this other than just to try it. Yeah. And I think the word is practice. And I think what we've got to be is just remind ourselves that we should have no expectation of what we do. We just should allow it to be what it is because it's what it's meant to be. Um, and the word practice, I think, is very appropriate um, because I don't think we'll ever be the, it'll never be perfect because our mind will always keep churning thoughts. And so as long as we don't judge or beat ourselves up and say, well, that was rubbish, you can't do this, which often happens quite quickly with people, and just keep pursuing it as a daily practice, as a ritual or as a routine, then it, you can start to see the difference over time. Right. 
All right. I have one last one. Then we're going to take a break. Um, I remember reading a study from Stanford University that I have quoted a whole bunch of other people that says three minutes of meditation is enough. But what they have encouraged people to do is to focus on something, on an object, on a yeah. single object in order to keep the thoughts from going around and round and round. I find my thoughts are crazy making. So it never works for me that I just sit there with my thoughts. But doing something simple like watching the second hand go around on my clock, just focusing on that thing. Yes, thoughts come, but then they can go because my focus is on an object and then the breathing. I find that's been incredibly helpful. And if I do that on a regular basis, meditating for 20 minutes becomes not a problem at all. Quite as a surprise to me as a type A person, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that can help help as well. Um, I would I would really try different ways and to see what works best for you because we're all so unique and so different. Um, there isn't really a right or wrong. I think try what works best. I think what they're saying is that obviously I do um, yoga teaching as well, but it's known as a drishti, which is just to have that focus, that point of focus. Um, you can either do with that with the breath or you can do it with an object, as you've said. Great. Sounds fabulous. I think the good news for everybody is there is something to do about this state of affairs. Well, first off, it's not good that your mind is constantly racing ahead and thinking and thinking and obsessing and repeating and so on. There is something to do about it. And it doesn't take hours a day. It's minutes a day if you set it up as a routine and do it in the morning and then in the afternoon. Okay, Jillian, let's take a break at this point. But when we come back, I want to talk about other methods for healing because you have quite a broad range of practice. And I just like to explore those where you're finding they're working and not working. So my guest today, Jillian McMichael, um, she is founder of Full Circle Global and Jillian's book that she started with at the beginning about her own journey of self-discovery is called Coming Home, A Guide to Being Your True Self. And we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Jillian McMichael. Jillian is a passionate teacher, healer, coach, and author. She is the founder of Full Circle Global. And as you can tell, Jillian does an awful lot to help people do th- go through self-discovery and come to their full potential, find their own sense of themselves back. Her book, Coming Home, A Guide to Being Your True Self, and her podcast, Full Circle, Finding Your Way Home. So Jillian, we've been talking about meditation and clearly the research has documented the power of meditation and mindfulness in helping us be more satisfied, I guess is the word I want to use, more present in our lives, calmer, better leaders. I mean, there is no question that the science says these techniques work. But what's interesting to me is there's a whole range of other practices that have been deployed through the centuries, some maybe more recent than others, and you use a range of these. So tell us about some of your other favorite techniques for yeah, quiet mind. Absolutely. So, so obviously I mentioned before that I do um, Reiki healing, which is an energy healing approach, which is a hands-off, but basically you would, you know... Um, check, I suppose, try to balance your chakras. So we have about 72,000 energy channels within our body. Um, All these energy channels are like the kind of little wires that kind of go to these seven core points within our body, starting from the crown of our head to our brow, to our throat, to our heart, down to our solar plexus, our sacral, which is our belly, and then to what I would class would be our hips, which is known as our root. And when those nadi channels, those energy channels get blocked, we can find ourselves out of balance. And so one of the ways to get them back into balance is to explore through healing, energy healing, a way to kind of, you know, kind of re um, align those energy channels. Um, and it can be very, very, it can be a very healing process, um, energy management, and a really nice way of, of, again, allowing somebody else to help you kind of realign yourself. I would describe it a bit like reversing. If you're in a car, reversing into a parking space, because sometimes, you know, throughout our day, we lose connection with ourselves. We're busy. We might be triggered. You know, we might have had a difficult conversation and we get out of balance. Um, And I notice, for example, when I'm out of balance, I will drop things. I might bash my knee on the coffee table or, you know, trap my hand in something or something along those lines. I think, ah, right, something's out of balance. And so, you know, you can get some Reiki to do that. But alongside Reiki um, is what I, which I'm also trained in is as a perfect health teacher is Ayurvedic living. So Ayurveda is the oldest and most traditional healthcare system of India. So based upon the Vedic Indian tradition. 
Mm-hmm. Now, it's obviously been around for absolutely centuries. Um, but what they believe, or the Vedics believed in, in back in the day, all them years ago, was that we have kind of seven pillars to our wellness. We have mindful movement. We have conscious communication. We obviously have healthy nutrition. We have meditation and mindfulness. Um, we have sleep. We have grounding, which is ways to ground ourselves. And then we have this opportunity around um, gratitude. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of the, the additional pillars. to. So if we can incorporate a handful of those, if not all of them, into our life, into our routines, um, then it means that we should be geared up to have a better balance and we'll be able to calm ourselves in the times that we need to calm ourselves. Now, obviously, some of us like doing, if we take mindful movement as an, as, a, as, a, as, a, an idea, as a concept for a moment, it doesn't mean to say that you can't still go on the treadmill, go run the marathon, you know, go, go, go out running and jogging or do some high octane energy exercise or even strength-based work. But it also means that throughout your kind of um, physical activity that you should also include yoga, Pilates, something that allows you to be much more focused on breath and that a sense of connection to self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Conscious communication, I think, is quite interesting because I don't think as human beings in this day and age that we're very conscious of how we communicate to ourselves, never mind to others, especially when we're up to 90 and we're stressed and anxious and all of those things. And that's one of the things that can slip really quickly is how we communicate with people. Now, conscious communication is really based upon, first of all, how we communicate with ourselves. So what do we say about ourselves? You know, what do, how do we describe ourselves and what words uh, do we use you know, I had a client the other day who said she was stupid 16 times in the first 20 minutes of our coaching session. So not being very conscious of her communication in those moments and actually calling that out and understanding, well, what's making you use that word? And why do you feel that way? And how long have you been feeling this way? Because the words, you know, there's that concept, isn't there, is of what we, what we say we believe and what we believe we become. And when we say these words to ourselves and we're not conscious about the phrase or the language that we use about to describe ourselves, then it can have a real negative impact on our mindset and our energy levels and everything else. So conscious communication can be really helpful, not just to self, but then also to others, because you you talk more compassionately to others if you're more conscious about how you're communicating. Okay. Okay. And then healthy eating, meditating, sleep. Grounding. I'm interested in grounding. What are the? What is that about? What are the techniques there? So the technique is really simple. Is that you just literally take your shoes and socks off, and if you have a backyard or a garden, you can just walk on the ground. Two minutes of just walking around your garden or your backyard, wherever, just allowing your feet to connect with nature, will ground you, and will actually give you a whole different energy and vibe. That's assuming that I'm not having my thoughts racing ahead while I'm walking on the ground for those two minutes and doing my to-do list and my shopping exactly, list. Exactly, exactly. But if you go back to your point about watching the second hand on your watch, mm-hmm. if all you do is to look down and watch your feet on the grass or on the ground, then your focus becomes on that and it takes you out of your head. Okay. 
All right. And gratitude, we've certainly seen a lot of lately in terms of the concept of a gratitude journal or recognizing what you're grateful for on a routine basis. So mindful movement, things like yoga or Pilates, conscious communications, what I'm saying to myself, healthy eating, meditating, sleep, grounding, literally walking on the ground barefoot and gratitude. You put some other words in front of it, but I got the core concept, I think. Absolutely. You did. Yes, absolutely. All right. And can one practice Ayurvedic living on their own? Or do you need a guide to do that? Well, there's lots of books out there, so you can definitely have a good read. Um, But I think if you just take those kind of seven principles, you should be able to do some stuff yourself. But obviously, depending on how um, much, you know, kind of how much more you want to learn or to find out more, then yes, I would suppose a guide would be very useful, like a a Ayurvedic coach or an Ayurvedic practitioner or a lifestyle coach, whatever, that, that would be also very useful, specifically with Ayurvedic. Because Ayurvedic principles is all around that, it's all about digestion. So it's not just necessarily what you eat and what you drink, but it's also what you digest in terms of your the, the emotion. That's why the, the communication piece is very important. But also down to, you know, what you experience outside in your social circles, your working environment, um, the interactions that you have, but also even down to the creams that you may put on your skin, the toothpaste that you brush your teeth with. All of those things will aid digestion. And Ayurvedic living is all about having a healthy digestive system. Okay. Internally and externally. Okay. Where digestion is, what do I bring into my body, on my body, into my body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, as well as. Okay. Everything. Interesting. All right. Do you have other techniques that you want to talk about? I would say those are the 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 the, the most that, and those are things that I do. But what I would suggest is is I, I call it ritual, but to make it real kind of, I would say re- routine is very important. I think with anything that you're doing for self care, is that you really want to be looking at the four cornerstones of your well being, which is your emotional, your physical, your mental, and spiritual. Okay, your mental and spiritual. Yeah, and if you can get the balance right with those four things, because we need all four, we have to have all these four within us. We have them already, but some of them can get kind of ignored or forgotten about. But when we try to get the focus on all four um, in the right way, then we can make it part of our daily routine. And I think the key thing is with all of this is routine. If you have routine, you will feel better. If you have routine, you'll have more energy. You, you know, you will be able to manage your thoughts and all the things that we've talked about today, and you'll be vibrant and you will lead, hopefully, a more healthier life on the back of it. And hopefully a little more joy in your life. A as little well. more joy, exactly. Now, for people who think that they don't have time, I'm going to remind you, if you get these things straight, your thinking is more effective, your decision is faster. Your communications need less rewinding around work and at home. I think you either can invest upfront in your routines and in your practices, or you're going to invest in the back end cleaning up what you didn't do so well in the first round. So if you don't think you have time, I'd encourage people to think about that one. Um, Jillian, I want to turn over just a few minutes before we reach a conclusion here and talk about purpose. Yeah. So I know that you have, you think that this all fits in the mix for purpose, but talk to us for a few minutes about how you think about purpose in this context. Well, I feel, and this is just my point of view, but I believe that we're all here 
Um, and we all do have a purpose, same as we all have the same amount of potential. Now, obviously, depending upon our upbringing and our experiences and the things that we, we go through and experience in our lives will determine how we either pursue that or we we, we don't for whatever reason. Um, now, I feel that when we are focusing on well-being, self-care, we're looking at the, the concepts that we've talked about today, I think that helps us align ourselves more to our true self. Because I think in life, and I can speak as one being a person that has done this, that we often get lost. Mm-hmm. We, we we kind of wake up one morning and think, you know, who am I and what, am, what do I want and where am I going? Uh, and I don't think you need to be in midlife to experience that. Um, but I do think, you know, it can happen in midlife as well. Um, but I think, you know, we we are looking for, I think, as human beings, connection, belonging, understanding. And I do believe that our journey is to learn more about ourselves. And when we do that, I think that can then lead us to our purpose and to walk our true path, so to speak. Okay, but you don't mean like I have to have my my unique purpose that I am supposed to, let's say, build houses is my purpose. And that is, you're not meaning that. You're meaning much more aligned with my true, true self, being who I am in yes. whatever work I'm doing Correct. and feeling the satisfaction of being myself, belonging for myself, as opposed to feeling disconnected and losing yes. myself. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. I like that definition of purpose. Um, as much as I love a variety of people who've done some amazing work on finding a sense of purpose, I feel like we've gotten over the top on that in saying we have to have a corporate grand purpose. And then my purpose has to be aligned uniquely with the corporate purpose. And I yeah. worry that that allows just that encourages us to not fit or belong and exactly. to, again, lose ourselves in another way. So I like your definition, aligning with my true self, yeah. fitting because of my true self. All right. I have one last question for you. This is about managing memories. Mm-hmm. So I know you've written about this one. What do you mean? Why does it matter? Managing memories. So we have a choice you know, as we've talked about those 60 to 80,000 thoughts, we can choose to allow our memories to manage us or we can manage our memories. So when we are allowing our memories to manage us, they will take us back to places of past conditioning, maybe limiting beliefs, some self-sabotaging tendencies maybe. It will also take us back to some good moments too, those memories are also not necessarily always negative, but our mind tends to focus more specifically on the things that are more limiting mm-hmm. than fulfilling. And so from that perspective, and so what we want to do is we want to try and manage those thoughts better, manage the mind better so that we don't get controlled by the mind. And one of the ways to do that is through some of the techniques we've talked about and to move more into the body, into that feeling space. Because when we move into that feeling space, we can then drop into ourselves, which goes back to that true true space. And so I work a lot with clients and they talk about, I think, I think, I think. And then you get clients that talk about, I feel, I feel, I feel. And those things are great, but actually what we need to be focusing on is, well, what do you actually know? Because Mm -hmm. your think could just be a perception. It might not be what you truly know about yourself. And I think where we're stuck, and certainly I find my clients stuck, is in perception, not in the truth. Yeah. 
And perception is the part, in my experience, that drives all, all the crazy thinking. Like, I can't trust this person that has been my biggest ally for the last 10 years, and there's no evidence to back it up. Absolutely. It's this ambiguous thing, right? Yes. Stuck yeah. in perception. All right. I also find, Jillian, I think this is what you mean by this, that some people have a really traumatic experience in, let's say, in their working lives, not necessarily in their personal lives. And they carry that experience with them forward, fearing that it will happen again. Yes. And that memory kind of looms large over every relationship that they encounter going forward. And they have a really hard time of even recognizing they're doing it and then letting the new situation be on its own without all of that stuff around it. Absolutely. Because our memory creates an imprint and that imprint then, so even though this is now a separate incident that's happening, your mind will link the past experience to the current experience. So instead of seeing it as two standalone incidents, it's now one big thing. And then that's your mind tells you, see, I told you. And it reinforces that belief system that you had. Right. And frequently, by the way, if you don't realize this, our memories are faulty in the first place. So all the facts that actually happened around that memory may not be complete full set. As we tell ourselves a story and every story. Okay, ter- this is terrible, Jillian. Two minutes. How do you help people learn to manage their memories? Two minutes. One is I would do a mental declutter, which is to write a list of three things. All the things I want to keep, all the things I want to let go of, and all the maybes. And I would literally list them out. The things that I know that are working for me, serving me well, the things that are not serving me well. And then I would do an emotional and mental declutter. So imagine, I mean, literally visualize that you are getting rid of them, putting them in the bin. Alternatively, you can write a letter to them. That's what I did is Mm -hmm. I said, dear past, blah, blah, blah. Thank you very much for being in my life, but I no longer need you. And these are the reasons why. So I would play around with getting it out of your head and on paper. And then you can either burn it, you can rip it up, you can send it out to the sea, you can do whatever you want with it. But one way is to get it down on paper and then do something with it so you can get rid of it. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for symbolically doing something with it too, whether it's the burning, the putting it in a box or the lock. I mean, there's a whole range of things to do with it. Jillian, we could keep talking as always for a much longer time. We're out of time. My guest today, Jillian McMichael, her company, Full Circle Global. You can find out a lot more about Jillian on her website at fullcircle.com. Did I get that correct? Fullcircleglobal.com. Perfect. Thank you very much. And thanks for being a guest today. I think my highlight here, I think maybe in some ways my highlight is this last piece, the recognizing that the memories that are there are managing us more than we are managing the memories. And we have a choice, what we keep, what we let go of, what we put in the maybe box and do something about it. So Jillian, again, thank you very much. Thank you. And join us next week for more episode and getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.